Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's episode features Brother Peter Xavier and Brother Andrew Brabuff as they explain the communication standards of the Servants of Christ Jesus. To learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. I'm Edward Lugo, the project manager for the Servants of Christ Jesus. And today on the podcast, we have Brother Peter and Brother Andrew. Hello, guys. Hello, Ed. Hello, Edward. Brother Peter, can you tell everyone what you guys are going to be talking about on the podcast today? Yeah, so we're going to talk about how in religious life, um, there is a unique um, set-apart-ness. Can I make that word up? Set-apart-ness? Sure. Brother Andrew's saying no. Ed said yes. I go with Ed. Um, there's a unique set of partners in the sense of when we join, we are kind of separating ourselves from the old man and living into the new man. And one of the ways that we do that kind of practically is through our communication standards. So what does it look like for a servant of Christ Jesus to communicate with the rest of the world in the 21st century? So communication standards and limits. Why don't we jump right in? What kind of limits on communication do you guys have in your life right now? I am in my second year of novitiate right now. And so as a novice, our standards are every other week, I'm able to write my family. So I spend two hours bi-weekly writing family. And then once a month, I'm able to give an hour long phone call home to my family and talk to them. Uh, outside of letters, bi-weekly and the monthly phone call, I really see them, uh, the standard is once a year at the family weekend whenever they come and visit us. Okay, so bi-weekly letters, once a month phone calls, and then one annual visit where they come to visit you. That's correct. Okay. And are there limits on like letters that they can write to you or is that? Yeah, they can write as many letters as they want. And I have a lot of family that writes letters because they love me a lot, which is awesome. But we get two hours. And so the more letters I read, the less time I have to write uh, back. Okay. So. so you can't just read letters at a time. <laughs> That's correct. You receive them and you have two hours. That's correct. Every yeah. week to read them or? Every other week. Every other week. Okay. Does the two hours include reading and writing letters? Yes, oh, sir. Oh, wow. That's a lot to squeeze into two hours. Yes. You learn how to balance it quickly. <laughs> so, uh, And Brother Peter, what about you? Is it this, I assume it's different for you since you're in a different stage of formation. Yeah, once you take vows, um, one of the first kind of big difference is, is that you get a flip phone, cell phone. So that was definitely redundant. In case you didn't know that a flip phone was a cell phone, a flip phone is a cell phone. And um, the policy with that for while you're in temporary vows is that you use that for communication and for ministry things. So I can't just give it out to like all of my friends from college or my family or anything right now. Again, just slowly um, learning kind of like that process of being detached that we'll kind of talk about throughout this podcast. So that's the phone. And then for me, so I also had a letter writing policy while I was in novitiate. But when you um, take temporary vows, you get to write friends with um, kind of consultation with the, the superiors. So if the two of you come to an agreement of this would be good um, to send this letter, to read this letter, then um, you move forward with that. There's just an intentionality there. And then I get to call my family once a week. So I talk to them every Sunday for an hour. And then once a year, I get to go home for four days. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in novitiate right now, there's no home visit. And then, and I know there's obviously exceptions, but it's not standard for a novice to go home. That's right. And then during temporary vows, there's one home visit a year. Now, 
What about communication standards for perpetually professed? Because I assume they're different for like Father Paul, Father James. Yeah. Um, so you still have a cell phone. It's kind of free reign. And really, it's you can see kind of like the slow progression that we go through rather than like, hey, you took val- like you took temporary vows. You've been religious life for two years. Have free reign. No, there's like a slow progression of like learning how to live community life, learning how to live the evangelical councils while also um, slowly becoming accustomed to um, old ways of communicating that may have been different like habitually uh, back in college and different things. Yeah, it's much more free and less restricted, but the purpose is because you spent so much time in temporary vows that you no longer have to have black and white guidelines, but that you know what's best for you and what's best for your prayer and your relationship with Jesus and your ministry. Um, So we see in the Old Testament, they have the law, right? And in the New Testament, Jesus fulfills the law and you no longer have 600 some mosaic laws. Uh, The purpose isn't that the law was bad, but as they're like spiritual children, Israel needs the law for a time to learn what's right. And then when Jesus comes, they have a law of charity. And so they should naturally know what's right and what's wrong. Um, So they no longer need these black and white guidelines and standards for everything, uh, which is similar to what we have for the perpetually professed. And I know too, because I know they have smartphones, Mm -hmm. but they don't just have a smartphone with everything on it, right? Isn't that correct? Yeah, so the perpetually professed have smartphones. However, it's very restricted. They basically have access to Google Maps and a United app just for the for how often we fly. And basically, other than that, it's just a normal cell phone where you can call and have text messages. And so it's helpful that you can use a GPS because those are so needed oftentimes. Uh, but it's also not just a smartphone that you can do anything you want with or look up anything. So it's not really um, a free reign internet as most people see it as. So I want to talk about when you guys first joined the community. When you first joined, it's such a change of lifestyle. So I guess first, what did you think of those communication standards before you started, before you joined the community? Yeah, I guess for me, I didn't really entirely understand them. I heard different people talk about them. Uh, but really it was just an act of obedience whenever I can that I was going to do what I was told because I knew that's what religious ought to do. Um, so I think I've grown and I've learned a lot since then, but I also have recognized reading the lives of the saints that the saints also have a very real separation from their family, at least saints that live religious lives. To be, to be honest, I don't know if I thought about it that much because there's so many different things happening in religious life. Um, when you're joining, you're literally selling all your possessions. You're leaving all your family and friends. You're there's, I mean, there's just so many different factors. There's so many things happening at once. I felt like the mail, like thinking about mailing people, thinking about calling people, was so, in my mindset, like so small in comparison to like, oh, I'm leaving college right now. I don't know when I'm gonna come back to Texas A&M ever again. You know, so. For me, I just don't even remember what, like, specifically I thought about the communication standards. Uh, Once you kind of started entering into community, what was it like when you started living that that standard out? I think, again, there's so much that happens in religious life, and life just moves so fast that in some ways I just didn't find myself thinking about other things because I was so preoccupied by my day. Uh, But there's definitely a way that you miss family and friends. And I would say it goes deeper than homes. Um, it wasn't just that like I missed being home. I think it was a recognition that I've just made a very real sacrifice and that I'm no longer going to be around my family like I ever have in the past, that I'm no longer going to have instant access to them and be able to hang out with them. 
uh, kind of a recognition of all the sacrifices that I'm going to have to make in the future. And kind of those sacrifices were what um, were difficult at times. Yeah, I mean, I felt the same thing. There's just a, there is a natural, I mean, I would have, I would be more concerned if I sat here right now and I was like, no, I didn't miss them. Hmm. It's like, are you even human? <laughs> like, do you have feelings? Do you have emotions? Do you love them? Do you care for them? The answers to all those things is yes. <laughs> yes, I do love them. Yes, I do have emotions. I have more emotions than I need. But there was a very real opportunity. I, I remember back like when I was in college, you, I would call maybe like my family like maybe once a week and then they were just kind of like going through life and then I would shoot a text to my family here and there when I needed something or something happened, you know, just kind of happen. But when there's this recognition of like, okay, I have two hours to do these letters every, however, every other week or however often it is, you have to be in a sense ready to um, know what you're going to share, to know what's worth sharing. Like you, you, you can't just like, if you forget something, it's like, okay, well now I'm going to wait another two weeks or now I'm going to wait another month or now I'm going to wait if you're writing friends another six months. So I've just seen, this is kind of one of the fruits is there's a greater intentionality with what I'm thinking and what I'm speaking. And it's, it's kind of funny because you would think like, oh, well, in an email or a text message, I can be intentional because I can erase things and then put them back. But like, if I'm handwriting somebody a letter, I have to be more intentional than if I'm just sending somebody an email because like, I don't want the, like half the letter to just be like scribbling out things. There's, there's a, yeah, there's the only word that I can come up with is intentionality. There's just a greater intentionality of these are the words that I want to share with you and I'm not going to change that. Now, Speaking of your family, because this is like your perspective, one of the big questions that I'm sure a lot of people have is like, what did your family think when you told them like, hey, I'm only going to talk to you once a month. I'm only going to write to you every other week or maybe even if that, you know, I guess what was their reaction? How did they take it and what did they think? When I was recently, I was the best man at my cousin's wedding, so I was able to go home for that. And I had one of my cousins come up to me, and I really appreciated the question where he just very bluntly asked me, he's like, I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything, but how could God ever ask you to do this? That doesn't make any sense to me. If family is so important and God says family means so much, how could he ever ask you to leave your family and not talk to them as often as everybody else does? And I really appreciated that because I think that gets to the core of how family feels of asking like, why is my son rejecting me? Is it not good for me to be close to him? Is it not good that I love him and that I should be able to talk to him? And I think those questions going through at least my family's heart and it was really hard for them to be able to kind of let go and wonder like, why is this happening? I don't understand why I can't talk to my son. When myself and my family started feeling that actual reality that happens in life of I'm following the Lord's will and going in the way that he's asked me to, that there is this, as Brother Andrew was saying, there's one, a confusion, because I think really what it gets at is, and I won't go off on a long tangent, but it almost seems like this is contrary to the gospel that a lot of us are raised with. It's like, can the gospel be this hard? Can there be like this much sacrifice in the gospel, this much separation at times in the gospel? And um, if we don't pray with the gospel every day, the obvious answer that we're going to say is, well, of course not, you know, but if you just sit with the word of God and you read it, there's a lot of challenges from Jesus. And every single person that you're reading to writing is at some point leaving their homeland, leaving their people or kinsfolk, all of the apostles, like 
I don't know what their letter writing system was like back in the day, but I imagine it was quite some time if they were sent a letter back to their families, you know, if they're on the other side of Israel and stuff. Um, there is just this, the gospel becomes more real once you start feeling the requirements of the gospel message to do God's will. And I think because of that, like it's, it's a communal, it's a communal reaction. It's a communal experience of like, I felt it, my friends felt it and my family felt it of like, the gospel is going to entail something if we're going to give everything to it. And so, yeah, that's hard. Like <laughs> That's not the easiest thing. So a passage that's been standing out to me a lot is it's, it's the narrow way and it's the, the, the gate, right? Like the narrow gate and the wide gate. Jesus is talking about like the pathway to hell and the pathway to heaven. Um, and he's trying to encourage them to enter into the narrow gate. But what he says for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And what Jesus is going to say um, in the next verse is that uh, when he's talking about the narrow gate, the gate that we that leads to heaven, um, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And it's like, this is not a message of the gospel that people are talking about really. And so that verse, I just feel like not just myself, but my family and my friends, we're all kind of feeling that at times of what Jesus asked us to live. If we're going to walk the narrow way and to be brought into you know, the eternal happiness, it's going to be hard. The way that the catechism puts it is that when Jesus comes, it says he gives us a radical choice to gain the kingdom. One must give everything. Jesus gives us a radical choice to gain the kingdom. One must give everything. And obviously that's going to look different for different vocations. But I think when I was in college at Ohio state, it was really easy for me to pray, Jesus, I want to give you everything. Let me give you my life. And that's really awesome when I'm sitting in a holy hour, when that's really abstract and I'm reading words on a page, but when those words become a concrete reality in my life and Jesus is asking me to sacrifice things and particularly family, uh, that becomes something that makes a demand on my life and something that's challenging, as brother was saying, that's very hard to follow. I want to ask you guys about those sacrifices, but before I get to that, can we talk a little bit more about the scriptural foundations for this, like what are the scriptural foundations that, which essentially gets to kind of what you guys are talking about, like why, and like what your cousin asked you, brother Andrew, like, why do you do this? And like what you're talking about, why, where in scripture does it say like, Hey, you guys should do this or, or at least like, what's the foundation for why you guys do this? Yeah. And so you see throughout the entire gospel, uh, really throughout the entire Bible, we should say first that God calls certain people to follow him in a particular way. And so in First Kings 19, Elijah comes to Elisha and puts his cloak on him, a sign to come follow me. And what Elisha does is he goes back to his home. He kills all of his animals. He burns all of his um, farming materials and tools. He says goodbye to his family and follows Elijah with his whole life which is inspiring. But when Jesus comes, Jesus makes new demands. And so you'll see in Luke nine, Jesus invites someone to follow him. He doesn't demand it, that they follow him, but he invites someone to follow him. And when the man says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say farewell to those at my home. Jesus responds, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And his brother was saying, it's really easy to like hear voices, hear parts of the gospel. And Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything. The father knows he's going to take care of you. And we hear that gospel, the easy gospel all the time. But when I hear something like this, when Jesus says, no, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Do I take Jesus at his word? And do I actually listen to what Jesus says? Or am I going to push into what's easy and do what I want to do? Um, 
you you just and you think about like this imagery when people preach on this it's it really makes no sense like if the man is going to set out to like work until his field like if he's looking back then what's going to happen to all like the new pathways in front of him like all the prosperity that god has planned for him like all the fruitfulness it's going to be crooked because he's not looking to what god has like planned forward before him but he's too focused on like what's behind him and like even like it's funny too like if he's halfway but he was looking forward like half the time and then he starts looking backward he's going to be looking at how good everything was backward how straight everything was backward but then what's going to happen if he keeps looking backward as he's going forward then that straightness like it's going to be it's just going to get shaky it's going to get crooked it's not going to make sense anymore so if you just think about like the literal sense of this scripture it just absolutely makes no sense of why would we focus on looking back and for me, at least, I am very nostalgic. I love memories. I love um, thinking about all the beautiful moments that have happened in life with friends and family. But even in like that sense too, there has to be a, a discernment and a prudence and a maturity of like, am I just living in memories? Am I just living in the past? Or am I trusting that God has beautiful fruitfulness in the future and I'm only looking forward in a sense? So a couple of chapters later in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking to his disciples and then he tells them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And obviously we read this as the biblical word for hate. What that means is unless it's secondary, but it's not just that Jesus is primary and family is secondary. What Jesus is really getting at here is that Jesus is everything. I give my whole life to Jesus and everything else I do fits into Jesus. And that's going to look different for each of the disciples. But I think we have to look at how the apostles would have heard this because it's really easy to read in the gospels. Yeah, James and John heard Jesus preaching and then they left everything and followed him. Well, those are a few words, but what does that mean? They left everything. They left family, friends, money, their business. And so whenever we leave everything to follow our family, we feel that pain. And so whenever we read the gospel and hear this, it's inspiring for me to think what the apostles gave up, but then also what they gained because of that sacrifice. I think for a lot of us, when we hear for freedom, Christ set us free, right in Galatians five, it's okay. Jesus set me free from bad things. And it's like, no, no, no. Jesus has set me free from all things except for him. That is the gospel message that I can be so I can be so filled with the great with love itself that nothing at all good or bad right um, comes in the way of that love but it's, it's not just like father mother brother sister right like friend whatever it's he he makes it very clear that he says even his own life you know it's not just external things but like not even my own life can get in the way of me loving the lord and like that's why the only I mean, why would we join religious life? Why would we, why would we offer all these beautiful sacrifices to the Lord if when it comes down to the point of, am I going to give my life to Jesus? And be like, no. It's like, well, then what, what do I just do? What have I done the past three and a half years? What am I building towards? It's like nothing. And my life is so good. Nothing in the gospel says my life is bad, right? Like it's a gift from the Lord. He's holding me and sustaining me in existence right now. So it has to be that Jesus is not just telling us to say, to, to be free from bad things, from sinful things, but he wants us to be free from, in a sense, free from even good things so that they don't even get us in the way of us loving him and totally fulfilling our will, his will for our lives. Yeah, it's really, really challenging. Um, so like I said, I come from an area where family is everything and I love my family a lot. 
Uh, and obviously I've spent the first 21 years of my life with my family. Uh, and I'm at a point now where, uh, my younger brother just got engaged, right? Um, one of my best friends, my cousin just got married. He just bought a new house. Um, he just started his new job and the people that I care about most, the people that I love the most that I've loved my whole life that I grew up with, I have to realize that I'm not with them in the most important stages of their life, that I don't get to walk with my brother through his engagement. I don't get to help my cousin, um, revamp his house. Um, and I don't get to talk to him about marriage and how things are going often. I have six nieces and nephews now all under the age of four years old. And the reality is that I came to whenever I entered religious life is I'm not going to be able to see them grow up that I'm going to see them once or twice a year and be able to spend some time with them, but I'm not going to see them grow up. Like I would desire to, like I want to, um, even my grandparents, I love my grandparents so much. They've been such a model for me my entire life, but my grandparents aren't getting any younger. And I've had to come to terms with the fact that in the last years of my grandparents' life, as they grow older and their health starts to decline, I've sacrificed the time I could be spending with them. Instead, I'm in a religious life in Denver and I'm not going to be able to talk to them like I wish I could. The reality is, though, this isn't just religious that make these sacrifices, right? Growing up, I always wanted to be in the special forces in the army. But if I was an army ranger right now, I, w- I wouldn't be able to spend time with my family like I want- wanted to. I want to be able to be home for Christmas. I can't talk to them whenever I want. They're not always going to be able to know where I'm at and what I'm doing. And it's not that family is bad. It's that I'm sacrificing for something greater. I'm sacrificing for a greater good. And if, uh, if special forces soldiers can do this, if professional athletes and Olympic athletes can do this for the sake of this worldly glory and for these worldly trophies and things, why would I not do this for God who's given everything to me? So we've talked about kind of the biblical foundations about this and you guys have shared a little bit about the fruits, but what are the fruits of limited communication for your own vocation? What are the fruits in your life? I think the main fruit I found is what the desert fathers would call purity of heart. And so the desert fathers main virtue, main way to holiness, main way to become a saint in the kingdom is what they call purity of heart. And this goes beyond what we would call chastity. Purity of heart is that I have one thing in my heart and I'm giving everything. A Navy SEAL gives it for the mission that's like given to him. Uh, an Olympic athlete might give it for the Olympic crown. We give it for the kingdom of God. And so purity of heart says there's one thing necessary. There's one thing in my heart. And whenever that's in my heart, I'm not clouded by so many other things. My heart's not weighed down by different anxieties or by different things that I don't have control over. But Jesus is everything. And everything that I see, I see in the lens of Jesus. And so I think for me, the biggest fruit personally has not so much been the time, uh, the extra time I get for mission or for religious life, but it's that my heart is more fully given to Jesus than what it's ever been in my entire life because it's not cluttered and it's not anxious about many things that I can't really change anyway back home. I'm not constantly thinking about other creatures, other people, even if they're good, but my heart is constantly thinking about Jesus and I'm constantly in dialogue and in prayer with him more than what I ever have. And with that, I think, honestly, I'm just more joyful than I've ever been my entire life, which sounds entirely paradoxical to everything we've ever said. Uh, But when I was praying through uh, the content of this podcast, the line that kept coming to me was that Jesus is teaching me the art of losing myself, that I'm learning how to lose myself. And for everyone in religious life, I think this line entirely makes sense. And for those not in religious life, I have a really hard time putting it into words. But the reality is, is that everything that I've held most dear my entire life, everything that I've loved the most, everything I've given myself to, 
I'm letting go of. And it's not just that I'm letting go of all these things I've done. I feel like I'm letting go of myself. I feel like I'm losing who I actually am. And it's like I'm going all in for God, where it's like everything I am and everything I have is directed towards God and everything else is falling away. And I, I can just say that is, at least for me, the deepest, most painful, most mysterious suffering I've encountered in my last year and a half in religious life. Um, but as hard as it's been, it's also been the most incredible, profound joy that I've ever experienced because I realized that God can give a far greater joy than anything in this world, even if they're good things. So I just realized the more I give to God, even good things to God, the more joy he gives back to me, uh, even in the midst of that suffering. Psalm 27 verse four says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And as brother Andrew was saying, uh, talking, um, that's uh, the fruit that he shared is the same fruit that I had prepared is, um, he called it a purity of heart, a oneness of heart and a singleness of heart. There is, um, only one thing, um, that I'm asking of the Lord, because again, going back to his goodness, like, do I trust that he's so good that all things that come from his hand are just going to be blessing? And we've on and off the past couple of years, Brother Andrew and I have been talking about Providence as he's been reading all these different books about Providence. And really, it's a big question for every Christian of like, is everything that comes from the hand of the Lord blessing for my good? To where I can honestly just say there's only one thing that I seek, and that's you. That is your presence. It is you. You're the only thing that's going to fulfill me. And this is what Jesus finds right in the classic passage that we hear about, like in the Gospels of somebody who's like always working and doing so many different things rather than somebody who is just sitting at the feet of the Lord is in uh, Luke 10, right? With Martha and Mary. And this was a verse that was standing out to me last week as I was praying with this. Jesus speaks to Martha talking about Mary. Um, It says in uh, Luke 10 verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But this was the verse that stood out to me in verse 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And when I was in my holy hour and I sat with that, I was like, do, do I believe the Lord is that good? Like that he could give me something that I never have to worry about being taken away from me. That I like, that I, I'm not even threatened because like he's just like so trustworthy and like he's going to protect the relationship that I have with him, the intimacy that I have with him, that when everything, anything else comes, like if I just keep my eyes fixed on him, like he's going to take care of it, right? Like this good portion that Mary has, Jesus promises, this one thing will not be taken away from her. And that's spoken to every single Christian. Like if Jesus is my one thing that like my heart is totally sold out for, I will have fulfillment and that fulfillment will not be taken away. And that's the, that's the heart of every single man that we're searching for is what is that thing that's going to fulfill me? And can I have that fulfillment in such a way that I'm never going to have to worry about losing it? Well, Jesus promises us yes. And that's what um, this communication um, standard is a means to, is to have that singleness of heart, just to have the one thing to desire the one thing. What about the, the people that like you've cut off, not cut off entirely, but like restricted communication with have you noticed any fruits in their own life regarding your decision to enter into this this choice of life and this and this restricted way of living Uh, it's been really beautiful especially with my mom to see how much she has struggled with this and how much she's grown in this 
And my first year in particular, she, I think, would have, if she could have gotten her waist, had me come home at any time. Uh, and I think it was actually when she came out for family weekend and she saw how I was more joyful than she's ever seen my entire life and I was more alive than I'd ever been. I think that's when she went from a point of, I accept you doing this because I have to, to in some ways, as much as I'm struggling, I'm glad that you're there and I support you, which has been beautiful to see. In a sense, my mom's love for me has been purified because as humans, we don't realize how much we love people for our good. That sometimes I just love family and friends because I enjoy spending time with them because they make me feel good when I'm around them. I enjoy conversations with them. But I can say that I love my family and friends now more than I ever have. And I think I can say they love me more now as well, even though I'm spending less time with them. So my last couple letters from my mom have been beautiful because she told me uh, recently that she said, Andrew, I think, honestly, I love you more now than I ever have my entire life. And to the ears of the world, that doesn't make any sense because I haven't been talking to her nearly as much as I ever have. But she loves me more and she loves me with a deeper, more real love. Uh, And with that, she also said, I cry every day, but I just keep giving this pain to Mary and Jesus. And it's beautiful because what I told my mom when I read that, I almost started crying when I read that. And what I told her is you're in purgatory right now because you're being purified of your love for me, of any love that's not of God. And you're placing God first and you're giving me away. You're letting go of me so that I can go to God. And it's this heroic suffering that a parent's going to face for the kingdom of God. Um, that's going to bring them to eternal glory and also is going to help bring others to eternal glory as well. I think when I came into religious life, I really thought um, that this was just like about me, that it was just about my sanctity. It was about, it was my vocation. It was my calling. It was about me and God. And like, that's what it was going to be. And I feel like the longer that I've been in, the Lord has just been showing me that it's it, that's just totally it's just it's in every sense of the word yes there's an intimacy yes there's a closeness yes there's a oneness like we're talking about and yes it is about me and the lord and him calling me but the lord is not just um the lord is not just in it for only my blessing like and it, it really it's when one person says yes to their vocation there is something th- there's something supernatural that happens for the entire body of christ um and it's it's really cool that Jesus has been letting me see that fruit very tangibly, both in my friends um, and in my family, right? That my friends now, like just by the, the like we've been talking about the communication standards, there is a, there's an opportunity to reverence what God is doing in my life, though that means like having to say no to texting me every day and sending me memes and different things like we used to do in college, you know? But I've seen so many of my friends like more concerned about tainting um, what the Lord is doing in my life than them getting to talk to me, which is so beautiful to watch um, because there's a grace that's being manifested in them, not just like in my life, but also in their lives. You can see like that is a gift of reverence for what God is doing on earth. And then secondly, just as Brother Andrew was saying that he feels like his mom um, or his mom was saying that. I feel like I love you more now more than ever. I am objectively closer to every single person in my family than I was before community, at least from my perspective, <laughs> projected outwards. That's truly how I feel. The words that I now share with my family are limited in a sense. So they are more focused. They are more intentional. And because of that, they're not wasted words. 
they're not, it's not idle talk. It's very fruitful um, a lot of times. And so there's been amazing, amazing fruit that the Lord has brought about um, in my relationship with my entire family, but my relationship with my brother, my relationship with my dad, my relationship with my mom, and even my relationship with my sister-in-law, who my brother didn't even start dating until I joined community. And then I didn't even meet her until, you know, after my first year of religious life. So, and, and just a, a, a memory that comes back that's pretty recent is my mom was talking to Father John at um, a wedding that we were at this past weekend because I got to see my family this past weekend. It was a great gift. And um, my mom was sharing with Father John of, again, we're talking about like the gospel is becoming a reality in the sacrifice and the wedding feast of Cana is becoming a reality for my mom of the words that Mary speaks and that Jesus warns her, like Mary's like taking the initiative, like Jesus begin your public ministry, like and now it's the time and Mary and Jesus is like, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come yet, right? But my mom, not only has she been supportive, she has been encouraging and redirecting me at times. Like, no, 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 like this is, if this is what God's asking, he's going to bless it. He's going to give you joy. He's going to give you fulfillment, all these different things. So not only like, I'm happy for you, but you need to do God's will for your life. And so she is literally becoming um, a married figure, like right before me and living that gospel story, which is amazing. And I think it's the exact purpose of why Jesus asked us to do this is so that she gets that opportunity. My dad gets the opportunity. My brother gets the opportunity. My whole family does. I think one thing that's so beautiful about it is that the reason there's so much sorrow and so much pain is because there's so much love, right? Like if my family didn't really love me that much, there wouldn't be so much sorrow with me being gone. So in a sense, it's a really good thing that they're sorrowful that I'm gone. Uh, And so I think the biggest fruit of all of this, we're not even going to see until eternity. So St. Peter says in 2 Peter 4, that love covers a multitude of sins. That when I love, it's having some sort of ripple effect, as brother said, in the mystical body of Christ. And it's covering sins and it's getting people to heaven. And in the sense that when my family is loving me with so much pain, that that's getting souls to heaven. John Paul II once said that the greatest force in the world is love united to suffering. That love and suffering constitute the greatest force in the world. And he sees this as like he's looking across the border to Soviet armies. And he says, love and suffering, the greatest force in the world. So what I keep telling my mom and my dad too is if you keep offering your suffering to Jesus and you don't waste it, you're going to get some of our family members to heaven who no longer follow Jesus, who are no longer part of the Catholic church. And you're going to bring them to heaven because your love, your intense, deep love with suffering is covering their sins and drawing them to heaven. So it just gets me excited for seeing the eternal fruits of this one day. So to wrap up, how how do you think this pertains to kind of standards of communication for somebody who is not going to be a religious after you guys have, you know, regulated your communication, how would you recommend, I guess, twofold one, just any individual limiting their communication and two parents, you know, cause you guys are kind of like in this relationship where somebody else gives you a standard that you live by. Like how would you encourage parents to kind of give their children standards to live by? in terms of communications. I think going back to the purpose of communication standards being purity of heart and having your heart totally given to Jesus, I would just encourage people listening to this, both for themselves and for their children, um, to ask what is the degree of my purity of heart right now and what is clouding my heart? Is Jesus really at the center of my heart and do I think about him more than any other things throughout the day? 
Or do I have a lot of otherworldly anxieties that are in a sense strangling or choking my desire to be with Jesus? Because if I'm constantly thinking about not just communication with family or friends, but if I'm constantly thinking about my work, if I'm constantly thinking about my house or about uh, what I'm going to do on the weekend or what I'm going to watch on Netflix, those are things that are pushing Jesus out of your heart. So I guess my reflection would be uh, to spend time pondering where is my heart at? Do I have this purity of heart? And if not, how can I grow in that purity of heart so that Jesus is the one thing necessary in my life? I think one of the biggest pieces of um, counsel that I could offer is probably particularly to somebody who is um, either discerning marriage right now or is in a relationship right now and um, is something that is very countercultural um, to college students and is um, or young adults or whatever it is. It's like, how intentional am I with my communication? Both in the sense of like, how overboard am I going, right? Like, am I just texting throughout the day, mindless things, random things? But also like, is there a time like where I like, if you're a guy that like is discerning marriage or is like in a dating relationship right now, is there a time that I invite my girlfriend or like my fiance or whatever to like talk about like specific things and not just to talk on the phone about life, but like to talk about like holy things, about like prayer, to talk about things that actually have weight and matter. So there's, because I, I think a lot of us, when we, even if we do set a time, like, se- like set aside time to talk to somebody that I do care about, a lot of it is just like, I, it's just idle talk a lot of time. And I don't go into it with like, an, like a specific intentionality to be vulnerable, to um, push this person to sanctity. And I think just something as simple as like, how intentional am I with my words? Because what James talks about in chapter one of his letter is a man needs to be quick to speak and slow to listen. And so if I'm just quick to speak whatever's on my mind, then I am not living into the virtuous man that I'm called to be. And so I think as men and women, we need to recognize like our words do carry weight. And especially for those that I love, I need to be more intentional about the words that I share with them. Because not only do my words matter, but that person matters. And especially if they're a significant other, they need to matter more than anybody else. I think another practical that's really helpful is simply to limit the time that you're on your phone Um, I've just heard psychologists even speak about how unhealthy it is and how much anxiety and tension it causes in us that we're like slaves to our phones, that we immediately need to be able to be reached and contacted and communicate with people. And for me, at least it brought me a ton of peace during college that in the morning until I prayed, I stayed off my phone. I didn't respond to text messages or calls Uh, for the last hour or two of the night or while I was doing homework, I put my phone away and I didn't look at it so that I could have this like peace of heart rather than being anxious and being feel- and feeling like I need to respond to anyone immediately that wants to get a hold of me. The only thing that I think that I've seen practically that the Lord has shown me that is fruitful is not when I just go after like, like if I want to talk to my family, it's good for me to talk to my family and spend time with my family, but it's also good for me to spend time with my mom. It's also good for me to spend time with my dad. It's also good for me to spend time with my brother, like to call each person intentionally and not just speak to us like when we're a collective group, because there's like, there's a personal relationship and there's a communal relationship that's healthy there. And once I started doing that while I was in religious life, that was one of the big things that like started developing our relationships even more was when we just have one-on-one time just to talk about whatever we want to talk about just intentionally. So I would just say for especially college students, is while you're in college, don't just wait for your parent to call you, but like call your little brother, 
call your older brother, call your mom, call your dad, like make it an intentional point to like specifically call individual people while you're in college. Cause I think it's just easy for us to like just text them or just talk to like family as a collective, but there's like a greater intentionality when we pursue people. All right. I think that wraps us up. Thank you, brother Peter and brother Andrew for sharing your reflections today on the communication standards of the servants of Christ Jesus. As always, you can learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus, and you can find podcast episodes as well as homilies and talks at scjesus.org. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Ed. I love you, Mom. I love you more, Mom. Mom.